Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Woo-hoo. Oh, glamorous nudity. We came out on top. When you get there, don't do what the people did before. Oh, Amazons, yeah. And my, and my demon's on a leash. You know, some artists who would like, they have to have trumpets announcing <laughs> when they come in the room, right? I'm Emily Rams. I'm the managing editor of Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. I love talking to my normal co-host, Callie, about pop culture. And I love talking to you about pop culture. But today, Callie is not here because I am on the ultimate disco (laughs) cruise somewhere between the Bahamas and Miami. That's right. We're on the high seas. And my guest today is someone so special. Maxie Nightingale Woo-hoo. is a legendary British R&B and soul singer whose songs were definitely part of my childhood. I can remember bouncing around <laughs> on the couch in the late 70s singing, we got to get her right back to where we started from <laughs> cool. as like a little baby soul girl and uh, feeling the beat, moving my little feet. She's also famous for the songs Love Hit Me and Lead Me On. And I'm so excited she took out from maxing and relaxing on the ultimate disco cruise to talk to me welcome maxine what a pleasure i'm delighted to be doing this oh boy okay so i'm like your co-host right now you're the most special guest oh can't i be like kind of (laughs) co-host sure why not all right let's do it um could you just give me the briefest origin story on how you became the disco legend that you are today when did you start who discovered you and what was your big break oh this is great okay these are great questions and every time i answer them it's like i relive that that part of my life just opens up again uh-huh okay so i started singing um when i was let's see we had a, a youth a club a nightclub in my town of wembley in, uh-huh. in england and I probably started with a band from a house up the road to me um, when I was 13, singing with the band, soul band. Uh-huh. Um, how lucky was I, right? Yeah. And um, th- it was a house owned by this um, Jamaican man and his family, and he really took care of all the kids in town. And this was his thing. We rehearsed at his house. We um, Unisound was our name. I just remembered it. And that particular experience taught me, I mean, to, so many, so many great um, soul records from America and all over the world. So that's how I began. And um, we used to play down at the Starlight uh, Ballroom, which was our club. And what a great training that was, right? And then, um, let's see, then we, with his help, we made a demo uh-huh. and took that to my mentor, he would have been, who was Cyril Stapleton at United Artists Records in London. And from there, let's see, by that time, um, I was 15 maybe, Uh 14 or 15, and I had three or four demos. I can't remember what they were, but just great soul songs. And I got my first record deal when I was 15. And then I went off on the road which was in those days in England, was uh, the working men's clubs of, of uh, Northern England. It's really the only place we had a whole bunch of clubs, but it was incredible training because they were incredibly rude to all their artists. <laughs> now get off the stage. After good. that, you could face any crowd. Yeah, and every single town, from Manchester on up north, yeah. 
all the working men of England would. This was where they took their families at the end of the week. Uh, there was they were fairly similar in in their their billing. They would have like a comedian, they would have a sing a male singer, female singer, a group, and a stripper usually. Uh-huh. And I was after all those, <laughs> right? Because I was just starting. You were after the stripper. No, I performed before, but in in terms of importance, I see. <laughs> so it was like drilling, 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 and um, I learned. Um, from singing all, I mean, yes, soul songs, but also every kind of song, you know, from on a clear day. I mean, songs in general, I learned to sing. And um, so that's how I began. At the same time, I was recording songs for United Artists. I go back every so often and we'd work a little and bit on that. And do you know that. about uh, what year you started recording? When I was 15. Okay. So, um, and I was lucky enough to have a stream of complete flops because then I could practice even more, right? Uh-huh. So that went on until I was about 17 when I auditioned and began working in London in hair, in the musical hair. Oh, wow. So that was even better. I was Sheila in Glamorous hair. nudity. Oh, glamorous nudity, um, incredible fun and friends, uh-huh. um, and also pay. We yeah. got paid as well. <laughs> and we worked at the Shaftesbury Theatre. We'd spend, I would spend, I'd go into London from my little town and then just spend the whole day. We'd sunbathe on the, it was the dream of yeah. any, any teenager, right? Of course. And some, some hash, right? right. A regular basis. And um, great shows, drilling, 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 until maybe, uh, then I did what? Hair, Jesus Christ Superstar, in between a little bit of um, showboat. Okay. And um, then... By 20, I guess, I recorded right back where we started from. met a man called Pierre. You were only 20. Yes, yes. What did you know about getting right back to where you started from? I know. From? <laughs> I didn't know what it meant at all. And he, that's a good question because I really didn't, uh-huh. right? Um, and it took me many years to get to the right. Right now, I am more than proud. At the beginning, I had different aspirations. Oh. I, we were moving through the 60s decade into the 70s, right? Oh, no, right. through the seven, early 70s. and. Um, I really, really wanted to be a jazz singer. Um, okay. That was my ultimate goal. And it still really is. Like Billie right? Holiday? Yes. Uh-huh. And all the all the great songs. I'm a really good singer. Yes, you are. Thank you. I mean, you don't really need to be a great singer to sing right back where we started from. But I've been so fortunate. You know, when I arrived, let's see, right back came out in England. Yeah, I was 20, 21. And it went to number one. And um, 76, my first gig uh, by the time i arrived in america my record hit number one yes and it was not a a bad way to arrive oh my god (laughs) bad and good you can understand it right it really had to get over it for several centuries um uh bicentennial year and my biggest concert of that summer was in washington there were so many you know because it was bicentennial yes and um performing for the president and president ford a fairly um harmless person considering where we are now right uh-huh um so that was that and then i toured i think my first tour was uh with boss gags that summer oh wow yeah what a great artist he is i and he's still really going strong yeah. and he's kind of the same as me because i know he's still moving Towards his vocal goals, he's getting closer and closer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's going right back where he started from. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, by now, here we are at the end of that winding, winding road, which had a desert in the middle, which was the 80s. Oh, my God. The 80s was a desert for a lot of things. It really was. Uh-huh. And it was the death of, of the music business in terms of it gradually died. and um, But it didn't quite stop. The heart didn't stop beating. That's right. But it was one in a series of big hills. 
Mm-hmm. And um, those hills, I would say in the beginning of the 80s, there was a major crash. I mean, it got better and better, the music, through the 70s with fabulous disco music. We had people like Michael McDonald started coming up with his great, there was great music coming from everywhere, right? Uh-huh. And then they moved towards this top of a very angled top, right? And everybody fell off the other side and uh-huh. we crashed down into music like Flock of Seagulls. Oh. These kind of guys, right? Oh, they bless their hearts. Up. Yeah, but come on, really. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't be unkind, but the, the, it was weird because it really did. We got to this incredible stage. All kinds of music was plateauing yes. at this top. We crashed out of that. And of course, it doesn't end. It's coming up again now with all the stuff um, the, from before added to it and reinterpreted. And so it's it never ends. It goes on. Yeah. yeah. It's a constant cycle. It really is. Uh-huh. It changes. The names change. Um, the uh, It's never quite the same, but the cycle really is. It carries a lot of things around and around with it. Yeah. You know, and now the new people are doing the same thing. And still, you've got every, you've got pe- deep in this mix. You even have things like James Last Orchestra and stuff like that, which the disco people added that, whoop, those kind of things with the strings. And it's incredible. Everything gets joined together. And having said all that, it's an incredible feeling because I kind of, it's like a trip. Yeah. I go like, oh, wow, well, that did happen, you know. And at this point in your journey, do you feel like you're making the music that you want to be making? Still not. Still, still not. not. No. Um, the disco music is still in there. That was never my ultimate goal, remember. I, I consider myself, and I don't know how many people would actually have the nerve to say this, one of the greatest female singers there are. And I tell you this, this is how it is. At one point, I was living in this house in, uh, in um, Hollywood. And it's happened to me a, a, a few times, singing around, you know, going around, like singing. And I stop and I'm like, this I'm like, who's that? That's a great singer. Who's that? And it's me. <laughs> I tell you. You it's snuck like, up on yourself. Yes. It's really true. I'm like, it's like a, maybe only a courtyard, you know, so it's mm-hmm. echoing. And I'm like, who's that? That's fabulous. It's me. A couple of times I heard myself on the radio, the same thing happened. And I know my goal is, I mean, Natalie Cole got there to a certain extent when she brought out her jazz standard album. Oh, yeah. With the orchestra. I really, I think the one thing I haven't accomplished is, um, I'm going to put it into words so that it will happen now. Manifest it. Yes. Um, Carnegie Hall. Yes. With the greatest orchestra all there. And I come out, I'm still able to look beautiful. Absolutely. And I start to sing and people go, that's it. And I'll be there, me. front row. Yes. I live in New York City. I can get to Carnegie Hall in yes, just a few minutes. Yes, exactly. You can see how that would be. I really believe, I do, I do really know that there's a certain kind of beingness and music that I really can yeah. express to perfection. And I'm going to do it before I pass out of this particular body. I agree. Yeah. So, Can you talk a little bit about what fame was like in the pre-internet era. How did you get your work out there? How did you interact with your fans? How did you know that you were famous? Okay. Um, the work got out there much more through the record companies. Uh-huh. Um, public, publicity, you know, the publicity department, very important. Um, there was a much um, more intense iteration of the fan and the performer, which I actually played that game from when I was a little girl. We used to do it when my mom closed the door, we would play games in bed. And my sister, one of us would be Elvis, okay. and one would be the fan. <laughs> and so one would scream. Yeah, so we had the special car 
that we'd she, he'd be driving, which had like this little handle, so he didn't have to hold it, just be like this and turn. He would stop, <laughs> pick up a fan, and anyway, so the Elvis game really was the the fan and the the um, the artist. So that gap made it kind of easy to play that game, right? Because it was like. People were very willing to be the fan, uh-huh. and the artists were very willing to be recognized, right? Uh-huh. So that was kind of not, it wasn't a, um, as intense as it is now in terms of reality. It, it was didn't game. feel unsafe? No, not at all. Okay. No, it didn't. There was a gap, much larger gap, a professional gap. Um, but on the other side of it, nowadays, you can actually really, really connect with people through the internet uh-huh. and have longer, much longer term relationships. With people, you can get to know your, right. you know, people. Fan clubs used to be people would have one person who ran their fan club and so on and so forth. Now that you can really have a intense relationships and ongoing, yeah, right with with people on the on the net. So that's an interesting. Would people thing. mail you beautiful letters with stamps on them? So much, yes, exactly. They would say the most beautiful things, and it would be in handwriting uh-huh. and stamps and pictures and whatever they had. You know, stick that stuff in there. A couple of nasty ones, but oh. I mean, really intense, like. Nasty in the terms of I'm coming to your house and I'm going to kill you, right? That guy, yeah. But mainly, um, yeah. So that's a. It's hard to really describe how it how it goes nowadays because there's an interesting thing that occurred and we're still living through it. It has to do with crashing off that mountaintop, and it is that during during the during the time the say from somewhere in the eighties when that was occurring. At the beginning of the 80s, there was a thing that occurred at Warner Brothers Music. Uh-huh. They had a, a coup. They fired um, a guy called Phil Ramone, Ted Templeman, the same week. There was one other guy. There was about four of them. They were fired. It was This is about the time that um, Michael McDonald had his first big album, uh-huh. right? So that occurred. That was the pinnacle, I think, musically. Um, but in this particular couple of weeks, they killed four of their great, <laughs> great, they really did. And they gave the job of head of the company to one of the bean counters. Oh, goodness. They really, really did. And that was it. For, at the time, the greatest company, Warner Brothers, was so hot, you know. Um, and Philip, for whoever he was, he had his own company within that company. So um, what they did, in, in short, was they, they killed the goose that laid the golden eggs. Mm. It was around the same time that they started dismantling the equipment and selling that to the fans. Oh my you could God. Start, yeah, you could start making your own records at home, which is great. But they also had this rule in place, which was stupid. The rule was you can own the equipment and we'll make it for you, but you can't use it. You're not allowed to what? write at the beginning. Oh yeah, at the beginning, you weren't, it's like you can't, you can't master your own records, you can, even though you could buy a mastering machine, all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. All the stuff that used to be so precious at the heart of the business, which was always a corrupt business, big right. business. Um, I mean, I can remember walking into the mixing room for the first, and being shown the mixer, the machine, right? This was like going behind the curtain yeah. of Oz, right? And um, they sold all these pieces. They started, you know, at the time that the cassette players and everything came out, they started. Mm. you started to be able to do more as an individual. But then they were like, okay, you can do more as an individual, but then you have to come back and buy it from us. <laughs> Which was not going to happen. You can't have it both ways, yeah, right? Once the genie's out of the bottle, exactly. that's it. Exactly. So the, they, they killed the the goose, and um, they're still complaining about it. The uh-huh. whole business was like, crash, burn, and, and here we are, like, crawling out of the other side. There's now, 
what, two or three major companies and that's it. Uh-huh. All that stuff that took such a long time was destroyed in that. And um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Do you know? Because it's great that people can be at home and make their own records. But another thing is people don't have places to learn how to play anymore. Right. I mean, we in, in L.A., you do have to pay to play on, on uh, um, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, I'm sure. I would like to ask you. Yeah. The disco era has a reputation for being the height of musical hedonism. Yeah. Do you have any juicy stories from the disco era? Not really, no. I was always on the other side of the, the goal. What do they call it? You, you were behind the, the, the rope, the right? The velvet rope. Yeah. And they never let me in. I mean, several times I tried to get into Studio 54, and the bruises are still subsiding they never would let me in they didn't let you in they, i never got in till How after dare i know they? i'm indignant on your behalf oh it was it was sad i slunk away and um eventually studio 54 closed now it's open again as a like small theater yeah they let me in now i guess but it's not quite as exciting <laughs> <laughs> i tried to they were open in 2000 when i moved to new yeah. york and a friend um, knew the bartenders there and was having a birthday party there and invited me to her birthday party. Yeah, yeah. And so I went with flowers for her birthday yeah. and they wouldn't let me in. Even though it's no longer it what it 2000. was. It was 2000. Who do they think they yeah, are? Yeah, exactly. Come well, on. maybe it was like, yeah, that's really stupid because it no longer was the, the hedonistic place. They were yeah. all dead, those guys. Steve Rubell and these guys. I'd rather be where you are than where they I are. I am so thrilled, you know, because I can't believe um, after all these years, it is extraordinary, for me anyway, is that I'm lucky enough to actually not only still be here, right? Um, but, I mean, this happens to me so much in terms of God really takes care of me. I mean, moves me along through space and time. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't even believe it. And as I say, every time I go, okay, so next I'm going to do whatever it is, I start moving then towards that goal. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. So, in fact, I mean, I'm not a religious, religious person, but I do believe in God and I do believe I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to. I am Maxine Nightingale. It is my real name. And I do get going really at midnight. And I have Nightingale singing outside my house, there which is go. right by the, the LA River. Isn't that incredible? Yes. So to that extent, it's really, really extraordinary. I just find my, my, my path is set out. And for that reason too, I don't listen to anybody saying I should learn to get up in the morning and be like other people because <laughs> that's just not what I'm supposed to do. I am supposed to sing and make people feel happy. That's my job. Well, that is a perfect segue into what I was going to talk to you about next, which was I saw you perform a beautiful outdoor set yeah. here on the cruise ship. You were performing by the pool deck. Yes. And they covered this is the kind of cruise that we're on. Music is so important that they covered up the pool with seating yes. and made it into a concert venue. Yeah. And I was up in the balcony above. Mm -hmm. And when you started singing, get right back to where we started from, the whole place erupted and flipped out there yeah. was just like joy yeah. bouncing off the waves yeah. all around us like it wasn't this eruption of um just like musical time. Bliss. Yeah. yeah exactly everybody remembered their own special memories that it, this had started right so what is it like performing in this kind of cruise ship environment where there's people who who find your work so meaningful all around you and you're walking around and they all know who you are and you and they're coming up to you. And yeah. what is it like being in? And also you're mixing and mingling with all the other yeah. artists as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, those are great questions. And the, I mean, it moves from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, really, my husband is like, for God. In fact, last night 
in the one of the, the in the, the buffet. Yes. This lady was at the, the next table. My husband kept on coming and going. I was still, somebody was coming up for this or whatever. And this lady came up, she was like, and she said, this is getting crazy. And it was, I literally was like, it, I mean, it's incredible, but I could have starved to death <laughs> this week. I couldn't stay there. Every meal was cold because I just, uh, yeah. Um, so that's not, that's not um, what it was like. It just is the fact that it was outside time. Yeah. It had the effect of, um, like we did the question answer thing. Remember that? Yes. That in the, the, one of the lounges. Yes. And it had the effect of when the person would ask the question. It's having that effect again with you too. Ask the question. Comes to me. The bounces to the next terminal. Right. I'm the terminal. Uh-huh. I start to answer it, and they, uh, they get the answer. And at the same time, I am completely freaking out inside because that past is opening up to the point where it's just. I'm like. Think, think, you can't think about all this stuff all the time. Right. Because you're moving through Yeah, you're the opening mental boxes. Yeah. And it's like that long tunnel, which yes. leads to right now, was just opening up like, oh, it was like that. So I'm describing it to them at the same time. I'm re-experiencing it. So it's intense. So intense and so happy. So happy because it's like, they love me. They like me, right? Sally? Yeah. They like me. They really <laughs> like me. You know? And, uh-huh. and everybody, no negative experiences whatsoever brilliant wonderful to the point listen to this i was i guess outside the lounge after my first concert i'd forgotten my room card i'd gone back and debbie sledge came up right oh she's so sweet have you ever, oh have you had God. an interview with her yet i tried i was not slotted in to speak with her oh it's not over yet but she's got a show one tonight more day. Could, yes because she is the sweetest person in, I've ever met. In I saw business. her at the buffet and I was she very tempted. You've got to. <laughs> She's like a little angel, a big angel. I tell you, you she if you went up to her and asked her, she would instantly find a place for you. Amazing. She is so sweet. Anyway, she came up to me and she started to you know, tell me how much she enjoyed my show. But then I realized she really, she meant it right. She was like, and then she started to cry. <gasps> and she was saying, oh, no, she said, no, you're not understand, really. I want my girls to see what it really means to be, what what we do, right? Uh-huh. She started I got a little verklempt while well, during your set also, I have Did to say. Did you really? Yeah, up on, on the balcony. It wasn't just the rum punch. No, no, no. It no. was you as well. But that, I mean, for me to have her tell me that. Yeah. Because I, I, I think everybody within, on my side of the business, probably secretly to varying degrees, has this, you know, how many people feel they don't deserve what they have it's an ongoing thing in show business right. everybody feels like they're fooling and you're going to be found found out eventually oh, imposter syndrome in, certainly exactly women have it all the time exactly but uh, as artists everybody has it too and um so we never quite believe what the good things that and that's true of the general population we're so bombarded with negative stuff we kind of it's hard for us to believe no i really mean it you are right but i would believe debbie sledge if you can't believe debbie who can you believe from god right it's like here he is he's sending this person so one day after going through everything i'd gone through in the early 80s i was going into kinko's got out of my car and my one of my old producers got out of the car next to me he had really really nearly destroyed me in terms of the things that i'd had to go through because of him Oh, he wanted a. There were so many stories for you know people have, and his particular one was, he more or less wanted to make sure that if I did anything, 
I could only do it if he was involved. Oh. And I was like, I didn't hate him or anything, but I would. I thought I'd like at some point to work with somebody else, right? Yeah. So I was trying to find ways to say that. I got a chance to be um, with Herb Alpert's record company, and I, kn- I had a meeting. I knew this question was going to come up, right? He was Somebody was going to say, would you be willing to work with Danny Deontay? And I planned what my answer was going to be, and it was like, well, yeah, I would be willing, but I would like at some point to work with somebody else. Yeah. That was the last chance I had to work at that company. Oh. And I couldn't get a deal anywhere. Life was very, very hard. So who gets out of this car next to me? I was like, there he is. this guy. But this ensuing time had had an incredible effect. He was now going through what he had done to me. He couldn't get arrested. Oh. Nobody wanted him. He was never that talented to begin with. And nobody wanted to hire him. He was afraid. And he was telling, we went for coffee, he's telling me this. And I, it's so weird. I listened. And as I'm, I, I went, it's like, these words came out of my mouth. I couldn't believe it. And I knew it was a blessing because mm-hmm. I said, don't worry, Denny. Hold on. Everything will be all right. And as I said, I realized I had no feelings of, ang- of anger about him at all. Oh, what a and I realized how wonderful. It was like, wow, this is, I'm so lucky. To be at the point where I can actually have room in my inner world to, to make this person feel better, this guy who tried to kick me to the curb. Yeah. Right? So that was one of the, the two major events for me. That was like, I still believe it was like a gift from God. And the other one was, um, I was offered this gig and um, I was going to be, there was a big disco concert at Hollywood Bowl. It was a p- perfect June day. And um, I drove, and the Hollywood Bowl is like seven minutes from my house. Yeah. So it's just like gorgeous weather. I'm going up to do the sound check, right? Um, drive up, this beautiful day. And as I get out my car, my old beaten up car, right? I hear this voice inside me. My own little demon is rising, right? And he's he's beginning, he's going to give me the pitch. You can't make it. You're mm. not all right. And I feel it waking up inside me and something inside me went, talk to him. It was like, okay, you can come, but sit in the corner and be quiet. Mm. It had gone away, this whole thing. He did sit in the corner. He was quiet and I realized I had passed him. I was in control. Uh-huh. Can you imagine how big that was for me? Huge. So huge. And that was the beginning of the rebirth, right? As, as of, the DJ, the whole yeah. disco thing came in again. I was like, on the other side of all this stuff that had happened, it was like, yeah. Uh-huh. How lucky is that? I'm still able to do it. I still can sing. I can still walk. I'm still right. <laughs> and, my, and my demon's on a leash. <laughs> Talk to me about your collaborators. Who have been the best? And if you dare, who have been the worst? Danny was the worst. He was the worst. Only because he wasn't a cruel person. He was a very, very, very scarcely um, talented person. Uh-huh. He was the one who did... Um, Afternoon Delight, that was his height, right? Star Shadows in Flight. That was his, Okay. So that was the guy who had me imprisoned, right? How dare he? Yeah. I'm furious. Yes. Well, yeah, but I was turned He came out on top. Yeah. So he was, I would say, the worst. It was really hard to get away from him. That particular day that I told you about, Hollywood Bowl, I was, um, Sheik was there. Little freak say Sheik. Oh, my God. This is now, we're talking into the early 90s. Yeah. So uh, Niall is like, he's, he is, his band is like, back in the 70s, it was incredible. Now he has the greatest musicians in the world, yeah. right? I mean, incredible, incredible. And my job 
And there were several. There was me, there was Kathy Sledge, there was Janice Marie from Taste of Honey. And our job was we, we, we would sing two songs, our hits. How hard is that? Yeah. Right? And um, so Janice did her thing. I did Right Back and Leave Me On. And Kathy did the, you know, Sister Sledge. And, um, and I performed with Nile Rogers and this unbelievable band. He had these two girl singers as well who were like super women. Uh-huh. They were, these girls were like maybe six, five tall. Oh, Amazons, were, yeah. Oh, and they were a hundred times, dare I say it, it was like the best girl singers you've ever heard, uh -huh. the most gorgeous. They were doing that, the thing, right? The and, Grace Jones. Oh my <laughs> God. So that was the band and everybody from the, the every every member of them, all the musicians. I mean, I remember telling <laughs> The drummer, but I didn't recognize him by name, and I was telling him how to play right back where we started from, <laughs> and he was so gracious. He Aww. let me tell him, "You okay? I remember that, right?" Uh huh. And uh, so those people, serious, freaking out at the at this the mention of Nile Rodgers. That's what a legend he is. He, yeah, I mean, and it's not to my mind. There are, are you know, legends and legends. He's the real, real deal, and um. Most of us are still running to catch up in terms of how finding out just yeah. how great he was, <laughs> the stuff he did with Bowie, the everything, right? Yeah. He he was always in the vanguard, yes. creating the new things. The rest of us are running behind, you know, and still interpreting it. And he's such a sweetheart. Oh man, when I was that same year that I didn't get into Studio Fifty Four, I was working at a theater in New York and Nile. Yeah. Nile Rogers came in and I like fell out. I could not handle yes. it. And the other a uh, woman who was working at the theater had no idea who he was. No. She was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, what's that, wrong with yeah. you? And I was like, if you don't know, I'm not going exactly. to tell you. I mean, there are some <laughs> artists who would like, they have to have trumpets announcing when they come in the room, right? Here comes J-Lo. But he doesn't. He's no, like, he just walks in. He just comes in and lays everybody low. Yeah. So great. He, um, so that, that, that band has been a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it was very great for me because I worked a lot at the beginning of my American career, my husband, my brother was in my band, oh. uh, Glenn Nightingale. And um, so we had so much fun. It's just, there's, there are no words for it, right? Yeah. These two uh, London kids uh -huh. just tearing it up in, in, in the States. And uh, so that was a big factor for me. And then he went to the Gap Band. So his career was very important to me. And then there's been some of the other artist but i got to put nile at the at the top of that list he's been okay. really wonderful to me amazing i would like to ask specifically how the industry has treated you as a woman mm. and if it's gotten better if it's gotten worse how do you think the industry is in terms of treating women performers these days well all these all these subjects we've been discussing are intertwined yes um and if you stop and look at any moment in time at the effect of one you're going to see also the reflection of What's happening in one of the other things. Uh-huh. So amongst the uh, negative stuff that you might have brought from the past, silently, in, in a weird way silently, for me anyway, the positive stuff just crept up on me. Uh-huh. It's been like a natural thing. People treat me so well. It's almost like when it was, when it was the opposite, I kind of believed, I guess, like a lot of other people, that that's the way it should be, that mm. we were just supposed to do as we were told. Right, so now the opposite is is occurring, coming into flower. Women are being allowed to be who they are, right? Yeah, in all their beauty and ability to have children, reproduce. Do we do everything, right? <laughs> everything, <laughs> and then we make the dinner. We do everything. So to see that opposite occur 
is, as I say, it kind of crept up on me. I'm obviously ready for it. And it is incredible. It has no end in sight. Mm -hmm. I think we'll know that we're really, really making a big step in the right direction when women realize that we bring our own special things that men can't do. Yeah. So our powers, that is our job. Everybody, men have that, but they have to stop doing the negative things they did to the other half of the human race. But for women, it's not enough to say, now I'm at the top. I'm going to be even tougher than they were. No, we can bring those things that they don't know how to do. Do you know? And then human beings will make a major step forward. We've already experienced that the male part, there's nothing wrong with that. But women have to bring that energy, which is theirs alone, for everybody to rise. I'm keying myself out again. I feel incredible just saying it because it's true. Yeah. We have to find a way to make that next step, which is going to handle climate control, which will handle everything. We will get to that step where we don't need gasoline. We'll be able to fly. Do you know what I mean? We, yes. There's a, women have that ability. It's not any more superhuman than the males, but we've been suppressed so much that now we have to remember when you get there, don't do what the people did before. Now, express that thing which up to now has never been expressed. Uh-huh. So that's what I feel. Maxine Nightingale, are you a feminist? You can hear it. You know it. But I'm also <laughs> a humanist. Uh-huh. Right? Because yeah. I see that as the end result. I am a feminist. It's my duty to become fully what I'm supposed to be yeah. on the planet. Because I see people, I'm like, they've all got to know that they're not here to go shopping. They're here to become who they came here to become. <laughs> Work. Isn't it true? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Tell me what are your hopes and your dreams and your goals for 2020? You touched on them. I want to hear about I them I told more. you there's going to be Carnegie Hall, so I better go and buy the dress, right? Yes. As soon as I say it, it starts But it's happen. not all about shopping. Oh, no. <laughs> now, inward, I would, let's see, I have a wonderful family. I have a daughter, one daughter who has 10 children. <gasps> yes. Wow. Oh, you have 10 grandchildren. Yes, I do. It's wonderful all the time. The only problem is at Christmas, it's almost impossible. Right. I wrap presents <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so my, I'm blessed with a family life, which is extraordinary. Uh-huh. Daughter is, I'm so proud of her. So, so proud of her. She's, she, fa- she married a very rich man. Okay. And they decided they would spend their money on raising human beings. Okay. And um, so that's what they've done. They just, they have all these wonderful, wonderful children. Uh-huh. And they, the money is, that's what they use it for, do you know? Um, I've forgotten the question now. Ask the question one more time. Um, your hopes and your dreams for the next year. For the next year. That's, you're getting, you kind of, you know, it's hard to say we're here. For the next year, I will say it's going to happen. So I'll say, I'm going to make that album. Uh-huh. I'm going to make that album. I'm going to make much more time to um, help teach the younger girls that are coming up. Uh Things that we're doing, like that wonderful guy who's giving desks to the girls in Africa. uh When those kids go, thank you, thank you, thank you. You see human beings and and young ladies are going to come up like flowers. Uh So I have to be more involved in that. But for myself personally, in the year, I'm going to say Carnegie Hall is going to occur with the full orchestra. I'm going to have my dress designed and step on to that final, that stage, you know, which I've always been waiting to get to. One last question before they kick us out of the room. Um, 
what are you watching? And when I say what you're watching, what pop culture are you consuming? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? Okay, well, I just watched Game of Thrones, of course, which I think is the greatest program ever. I just was going crazy with that. I'm the world's most voracious reader. Um, right now, I told you the mystery, right? Uh-huh. I'm enjoying, for pleasure, I'm enjoying um, the, uh, the 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 uh, Scandinavian uh, He's disturbing me now. Um, the Scandinavian, uh, but uh, for the also, I am taking the opportunity and really enjoying. I narrowed down my Christmas present to the greatest books I've always wanted to read. So every Christmas now, I get all the great classics. Amazing. Yes, my library, my first editions or fine editions or whatever. So I read all the great books again. Um, music, I'm I'm much. I'm kind of enjoying in the involvement, uh, involving myself more in. Educated myself more as well in classical music. Okay. Did you know that two years ago Mozart had the number one um, CD in the world? I had no idea. He's not only you can't find his grave because he was a pauper, but at the same time they're making. (laughs) Isn't that? Yeah. That is amazing. It is amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with me. It's been such a delight. I loved watching perform. I love speaking with you. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had such a great time. (laughs) I'm like, I feel like I'm flying in the clouds right now. So what a pleasure. You really brought all those feelings back for me. Next time I see you, it'll be at Carnegie Hall. That's right. That's exactly it. In the dressing room. Cheers. we'll, We'll drink a glass of champagne. That's right. Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad-free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. Get one month free. Go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Uh, essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. (laughs) Scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Rodney Smith. And, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. 
It's Which amazing. Was so smart. I mean, it's so like, smart. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Let us have it. Get out of here, girl. You're going to get sucked up into something. So (laughs) I cry through it every single time I sing it. Love Haze. To save our country because it needs it right now. For this show, we're on the high seas. On the ultimate disco cruise, Callie's not with me, but instead, I'm such a special guest. I am with disco diva Linda Clifford. A former Miss New York State in R&B, disco, and house music legend who has had hits in the 1970s and 80s, most notably, If My Friends Could See Me Now, which then became a cruise ship anthem. And now here we are at a cruise. Unbelievable. Ah! (laughs) Bridge Over Troubled Water, Runaway Love, Red Light. Linda performed them all, as well as All the Man That I Need, which is a song that was written expressly for Linda and her lover man. and. Went on to be uh, recorded by such luminaries as Sister Sledge, Whitney Houston, and Luther Vandross after Linda performed it. In 2015, she collaborated with disco and house vocalists Martha Wash and Evelyn Champagne King on the single Show Some Love, which reached number six on the Billboard Dance Chart. And that collaboration was dubbed First Ladies of Disco. First Ladies of Disco performed on this very ship. That collaboration was dubbed First Ladies of Disco, and that group performed here on the boat on the Ultimate Disco Cruise with Norma Jean Wright stepping in for Evelyn King, and it absolutely brought the crowd to their feet. It was, many say, the performance of the week. Uh, Welcome, Linda. I'm so happy to have you here with us. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Let's get down to it. Get it, girl. Let's do it. Let's go, girl. Can you give me a brief origin story about how you became the diva that you are today? When did you start? (laughs) Who discovered you? And what was your big break? Well... Um, I don't know how brief I can be. Uh, well, because take your time then. This, was, <laughs> this whole thing started so many years ago. Um, I traveled the country singing uh, with my own band for many years, uh, trying to develop a style of my own, you know, singing other people's material, and then eventually settled in Chicago after living in Los Angeles and growing up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never leaves you. Never. In the house. In the house, baby. But um, I settled in Chicago. I worked nightclubs for quite a few years. And then I was performing at the Playboy Club. 
Really? With in the Chicago. puffy tails and yes, everything? Yes, with the puffy tails, the ears, the whole bit. And uh, with my band, and I did, I thought, gee, how long can I actually continue to just work night after night after night like this? I'm going to try and get myself a recording deal. And I just burst into this record company one day. Somebody told me about them, where they were located, and I just showed up and I asked to see the uh, owner who I assumed was Curtis Mayfield. It was his company. <gasps> That's amazing. You just showed up. I just Curtis showed up Mayfield's and I got doorstep. all dressed up and I said, you know, you got to look like you're somebody, even if you're not. Uh huh. And obviously it kind of worked because the receptionist ended up taking me directly upstairs to the president of the company who was uh, Curtis's business partner. And I introduced myself. I invited him to come to hear me sing. I said, you know, I'm a singer and I would love to have you and Curtis come out and hear me. And about three days later, a group of about 15 people showed up at the Playboy Club to hear me. And that's how things really started rolling for me. Okay. But it was, um, you know, I love the whole idea of an overnight sensation and, you know, how did, you know, how quickly it things happened for you and I'm thinking yeah 25 years <laughs> it's like <laughs> hello but um they did show up and I I guess within a few days after their coming to hear me and which by the way I want to tell you this was an audition from hell I gave them Aretha I gave them opera oh my I God. gave them <laughs> Roberta Flack <laughs> and I, how was the Playboy clientele I, about that they loved it Oh, brilliant. They, the audience that we had developed there, we had been there for quite some time. And literally, people would come and line up around the door in the middle of winter in Chicago, seriously, uh-huh. to get in to see us. We did show tunes. We did dance music. We did a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And and so they were loving what was happening. They thought, wow, that girl's on fire. And I'm thinking to myself, geez, please, God, let this happen. Yes, of course. Yeah. And um, And thank goodness it did happen for me. And it changed my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, Have you always been making the kind of music that you want to make? And if not, how long did it take you to reach that stage in your career? Well, honestly, I... The disco genre, which is where I got my fame, you know, with those particular songs. I've always uh, done jazz, Mm -hmm. you know, which I love. And I do love literally all types of music. I listen to everything. So when I get the opportunity, I like to change it up a little. Uh So when I'm not performing with the first ladies of disco or touring uh, on my own at home in Chicago, I sing with a 44-piece orchestra. Wow. We do classical music. We do jazz. We do dance. We do everything. And that really, uh, it just, it heals my soul. Yeah. You know, if anything goes wrong in my day, that will fix it. Uh-huh. That music. So, I I'm very blessed to be able to do that. And how long have you been have you been able to do it that that way, your way? Oh gosh, I guess it's been about 15 years. Uh-huh. That, yeah. So, you know, so I So that's am, your normal. That's my normal. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um can you talk a little bit about what fame was like for you in the pre-internet era? Can you talk about <laughs> Uh, fan mail and how did you know that you were famous before the internet (laughs) I'll tell you I think I got my first taste of knowing that people knew my name and knew my music I was um, 
if my friends could see me now, was at that point number one in the country. Uh huh. And I knew that because I saw Billboard magazine. That was the way to, uh -huh. to really know and rely on truth was to read Billboard. And but I had never seen a crowd respond to the song. I'd uh -huh. never seen that. I hadn't performed it yet out in public. Oh, I so see. It so it just was just being number played one. on the radio, being played in the clubs, and, you know, people reacting. And so, uh, as a result, I went on this little tour, uh -huh. a promotional tour, and one of the places that they took me to was Studio 54. Okay. And so they take me up to the DJ booth, and the, of course, the crowd is going crazy anyway. They're just having a Studio 54 good time. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, he puts on my song. And it, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, it, it was insane. Confetti came flying out from <gasps> everywhere. Balloons went crazy. People were all, they were standing on tables dancing. I had never in my life seen anything like that. And wow. it was to my song. I was so excited. And was that your first time at Studio 54 My also? very first time. And you saw the whole club explode to I your saw, song? Yes, yes. And after that, they uh, would contact me later to have me come back and perform there many, many times, which I was so grateful for. Do you have any true tales of disco decadence from your days oh, at Studio 54. God, there was so much decadence. <laughs> I cannot tell you some of the things that I've seen. Um, well, there was the downstairs area. You uh -huh. know, where people got really close. They got up close and personal. Up close and personal. I happened to wander down there one night and I was like, oh no, get out of here, girl. You're going to get sucked up into something. So... <laughs> So I left that area pretty quickly. But, you know, all the, pretty much all the stories that you would hear were kind of true. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on, but it was warm and loving stuff. It was there was no fighting. There was no arguing because of the music. Yeah. I think that you know, our dance music, it was just happy. It made people happy, and it was a loving atmosphere always. Uh-huh. Always. And so I always had a great time there. We were noticing kind of the same thing here, here yes. on this cruise because we have Studio 55 here on this cruise that's right. bumping all night, every night. But I've I've never been on a cruise before this one. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen some horrific videos online with like Australian fist fights on the... What? On, on giant... Yeah, oh like there God. were virus, viral videos of like one boat had to like had to you know dock unexpectedly and arrest a bunch of people because they were like literally like punching each other Big in fight. the foyer yeah wow but, like like 25 30 people in a brawl like out in the i've never seen anything like that and so <laughs> i was i i was watching this and i was like oh my god like we're i'm gonna be trapped with these people who will they be like <laughs> and and i was feeling like it was kind of like an almost cult-like love bomb yeah getting on the boat because everyone's like so into the music and so obsessed with music and so happy yes. to be surrounded by the music all day every day and to be around not just other people who love the music but mixing and mingling with all the musicians on the yes. boat too that like everyone's in this 
love haze. Yes, <laughs> like it's they- <laughs> absolutely true. And and I'm finding it just getting on the elevator, riding on the elevator. It's the same experience, you know. So just walking down down to do this video, people were stopping you and being like, we love you. Yeah. What an amazing group of people on the ship. I just, you know, it it just warms you all over. You know, to be around these people, they're they're loving and and kind, I, and I feel wonderful. I can't wait to come back. Let's talk about um, the show that you put on. I think it was yesterday. There's sort of like a time warp in being I here, know. but I'm pretty sure it was yesterday. <laughs> so you, as I mentioned in the intro, you were performing with the first ladies of disco, and right. during sound check, Martha Wash fell and injured her ankle, and then you had and had to go off to the infirmary to have x-rays and you had to go on not knowing how she was if she was going to come back on stage yes what was going to happen and you and uh norma jean wright yes did an amazing job doing your sets while holding it together how did it feel for you guys up there well i'll tell you when i was directly behind martha when the accident happened and of course, it was nerve-wracking. Yes, you know, to see her go down and and tumble, and there was nothing I could do. You know, th- that made me feel even worse that I couldn't save her. Um, but that was what happened. And then we only had a few minutes after the accident, to realize, okay, she is not going to be able to do this show, so we have to rewrite the show, change the charts, do all of the things that you know, you take weeks to in a matter of minutes. Oh, my God. So that's what we did. We put our heads together. We changed a few things. We got the background vocalist to help us to to sing some of Martha's parts and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it, the adage of the show must go on. Yeah. You know, you hear that all the time and you don't really think that it's ever going to happen. But uh-huh. it does happen. You know, we're we're human. Things happen to us just like everybody else. So we we managed to get that all squared away. And then, of course, the surprise of the afternoon. She came back. Yes. With a cane that she really wasn't using. She was just using it to shake right. at <laughs> for added emphasis. And then you and Martha performed. The most amazing uh, version of It's Raining Men that I've ever seen in my life. Oh. We were all jumping up and down and <laughs> screaming and kind of almost crying, oh maybe a little gosh, bit. Like a it little, was, yes. It was so emotional to see her come out. And I to started just... crying immediately. The minute I saw her on the side of the stage, I was crying. I thought, pull it together, girl. Let's go. Pull it and together. And the two of you together, let us have it. Oh, uh, thank you. It was thank just, you. it was a really special moment in disco history. Thank you, sweetie. That is so <laughs> nice of you to say. Is it intense being in this kind of environment? Is it intense? Uh, a little bit. I think a little. Um, it, you kind of want to just let your hair down and relax and not put on any makeup, but you can't. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. It's like this morning when I. When I wanted, I desperately needed coffee. And I thought, okay, I can't go into the cafeteria with nothing on my face. So I put a little blush, you know, uh-huh. touched up the eyebrows a little <laughs> and and wandered into the cafeteria. And I thought, nobody's going to recognize me. I put on my sunglasses. And oh my God, people were coming over from everywhere. They're, we loved your show. We loved, so it didn't matter. They, uh-huh. they enjoyed the show and they came up to tell me and I loved it. It was great. Let's talk a little bit about All the Man That I Need. Yeah. So that is a beautiful ballad. You said that it's about you and your husband of yes. a, of 
40 years? It'll be, uh, actually, this November, it's 42 years we'll be <gasps> married. Wow. Yeah. So what has it been like for you to see this song that was written specifically for you and your My husband? My hubby, Nick. And yes. the love of your life that yes. you performed personally. Um see it sort of take wings and become this huge hit for so many other people as well. You know, at first I, I wasn't sure what to think. I'll be honest with you. I, yeah. I didn't know. And then, you know, I heard Whitney Whitney's version of the song and I thought, oh my God, that voice. She's just so magnificent. And the fact that so many more people will hear it now and know about our story, it just made me glow inside. It uh, really made me very happy to to know that that was happening. And then, of course, Sister Sledge and then Luther and, oh, my God, uh-huh. that's our story. And people know it now, and, I, and I'm very happy about it. And how did the songwriter know your story just from being around you? Yes, and, and that's the, the funny thing. We worked together on uh, the soundtrack for the movie Fame. Yes. And um, I they were act- just showing Fame on the boat. We've were all they? just watching Fame. Oh, my gosh. On all the, the closed circuit television. Oh, okay. I went to New York to um, record, to do an album with him after doing uh, Fame. And he said, I really would like to get to know you as a person before I write all of the songs for the album. And so, and we just had this connection, mm-hmm. the two of us. And the writer, of course, Michael Gore and Dean Pitchford, those were the two writers. And I stayed in New York for a month and we would meet every day and just talk, just talk. And I told him, a little bit about my life and how much Nick meant to me. And this was just shortly after my daughter had been born. And um, he came back with that song and I, (gasps) Oh, (laughs) yes. Wow. Take me now. I mean, it was just so perfect. So perfect. It really said everything that I wanted to say. Is it possible to sing it without feeling overwhelmed with emotion no it is not i cry (laughs) through it every single time i sing it wow every single time because you know when you've experienced uh unhappiness yes pain yes grief all of those things that can really eat at you and destroy you if you let it when you've experienced those things and then suddenly the sun comes out again Uh uh-huh oh my god i cannot it's amazing. Yeah. And so I've been blessed with the sun for 42 years now. Oh, my God. It's, it's wonderful. As an aside, Luscious Logan is not only our recording engineer, uh-huh. but he's been the light of my life for 15 years. Oh, my God. And I met guys. him while working for Bust Magazine and having him here on assignment with me is so special that when you sang that song, I got emotional oh. thinking about Luscious Logan, our recording engineer. Luscious Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me about your collaborators? Who is the best person in the business to work with? And if you dare, who is the worst? Oh, dear. <laughs> You do not want to put me on the spot like that. You can uh, decline. Uh, well, let, let me just say this. Yeah. I think that working with Isaac Hayes was probably one of the best experiences, musical experiences of my life. I'm happy to hear that. Oh, my God. I would God. want him to be a nice man. I loved that man. And we had so much fun doing the um, the album 
album, CD, but it was an album yeah. at that time, I'm Yours. And he wrote all those songs for me. And every time I sing them, I think of him. You know, I did uh, Shoot Your Best Shot in the show the other day. Oh and that gosh, was yeah. Isaac's song. So um, he probably, without a doubt, I, I would say, is the best uh-huh. that I ever worked with. Um, as far as the other end of the spectrum, uh-huh. I'm going to decline to answer that. That's but, fair. But know that there are those people in the music business that, you know, don't make it as much fun to record. And they'll get theirs. They will. Woo! <laughs> 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 um, how has the music industry, in your opinion, changed for women? You've been in the industry for a long time. Yes. Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Where can it improve? I think that, um, you know, certainly it's it's gotten better because there are so many doors that have been opened for women now mm-hmm. that uh, back in the day, you know, you had to deal with the record executives, management, road management. Everybody had an opinion. Uh-huh. And, you know, you were young and uh trying desperately to have a career uh-huh. and so you're thinking oh i have to listen to them because they know what they're talking about when in essence they nine times out of ten really didn't yeah but um you know i was saying earlier today one of the issues that we don't deal with as much anymore um when i was on the panel you know is this whole weight thing i had a record company executive tell me that they were going to drop me from the label because I had just had my daughter and I was a size eight, which is about 122 pounds. And they thought I was overweight. So, you know, I, they, I was given the choice to either lose 20 pounds or lose my career. Wow. You know, that kind of thing went on just unabashed. Uh, exactly. I mean, they were, they all had their backs. It was, you know, the boys club. Yeah. And, um, you know, so they felt free to say whatever they wanted to say and threaten you in any way they, they felt because, you know, they, well, you know, you leave, there's 20 other girls out there waiting to take your place, Uh huh. you know, that kind of thing. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that we, we had to deal with a lot. And, um, and I found out today from doing the panel with the other ladies that I was not the only one that dealt with that. Right. Um, and it can scar you. It can hurt you very badly, not just emotionally, but physically, because you want to be perfect. You want to do everything that they think. Yeah, is women best. are such people pleasers. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And you know, you find yourself having a meal and then running into the bathroom to get rid of it, to throw it up. And before you know it, you're bulimic or anorexic or you're going through this terrible, terrible phase in your life. Well, after all that hard it. work that you put in. Right, right. And then you have to deal with that. Yeah. The other issue, of course, was you can't let anybody know that you're married. And for God's sake, you can't tell people you have a child. You know, you're supposed to be the sex symbol. Mm. You know, that's not happening anymore. Thank God. You know, now it's like you have children. You you put take photos with your children and put them on the cover. Right. You know, so that is that's a huge change. And then uh, at one point I had a record company executive hand me a. Oh, yeah. Like a prenup. Prenup. Yes. Prenup. I got engaged. And they're like, I mean, I was engaged for two days. And they're like, oh, here's a prenup. I'm like, get out of my face. Yeah. You know, so, you know, which, like I said, after 42 years only shows what they know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, you have to do one of the things that will never change, I think, in this business or any other 
as a woman especially, we're always trying to break through. Mm -hmm. There are always obstacles. There's uh, So you have to do what you feel is right for you. You uh -huh. have to be your best friend. Your own, your best, own friend. best friend. Yes. Yeah. Always. Linda Clifford. Yes, Do darling. you consider yourself a feminist? I do. To some, some degree, I do. Yes. Okay. Why did you ask me that question? I ask you because <laughs> this is an interview for Bust Magazine, and mm -hmm. we are a proud feminist magazine. I love it. And not everyone is comfortable with the term, and we want to sort of find out why that is mm -hmm. and try to... Um, I feel like sometimes the word feminism has a PR problem, ah. and we're working actively to to fix that. Well, I think that's wonderful. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, as a an African-American woman, mm -hmm. too, not only uh, do I feel that I'm a feminist, I'm also uh, an equal rights uh, advocate, you know, for women, for gays, for straights, for everybody. You know, right. if you're purple, I don't care. You know, living your life, being true to yourself and who you are, uh -huh. those things are, you only have one life, for God's sake. Right. Be good to yourself uh -huh. and be true to yourself. That's all you can do. And take me into your vision board for 2020. 2020 has just begun. Do you have any hopes, dreams, fears, aspirations? Tell me what the big mood is for you for 2020. I think one of the biggest things at, at this stage of my life is uh, trying to remain healthy. Uh-huh. You know, that's huge. Um, you know, when you're younger, you know, you hear your parents say, well, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You can't take the money with you. And you, you think, oh, okay, mom. All right, fine. But let me tell you something. Yeah. That's huge. I went through a series of um, incidents or health issues over the last couple of years where, you know, I had a knee problem and then a shoulder problem and then another shoulder problem it was like come on already what's happening mm -hmm. I and um I thought well maybe this is it for me you know I'm not a spring chicken so um I think I am concentrating quite a bit more on trying to do what is best to keep my health and so I can continue to do what I love uh -huh. you know um and so far this year <laughs> things have been good and I feel great I do feel so much better than I I did uh in the last two years so I, I'm very happy about that and I see lots of touring going on yes and uh with the first ladies of disco as um as well as on my own I'm actually going to be in Germany doing a show with Billy Ocean Cool, yes, Caribbean be, queen. Yes, I am. I'll be doing <laughs> that, um, and that comes up in May. Okay, and so I, you know, with the first ladies of disco, I'll be doing Las Vegas in March. <gasps> Killer. Yes. Where so, are you going to be at one of those big new theaters? We're going to be at the Orleans. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. I love it. So I, I'm really looking forward to this this whole year and experiencing the fans and and still loving the music. So I'm very pleased. Amazing. Yeah. I like to close out all of our interviews with this question. Um, it's called Whatcha Watchin'? And ah. it's a very broad question. We're um, big pop culture consumers at Bust, and okay. we love to know what everybody else is consuming. And when I say what you're watching, it's a broad question. 
books, movies, television, music, of course, music videos, um, anything that you're consuming pop culturally, we want to know what it is because it's probably cool. Oh, Linda Clifford, well, what like, you watching? Oh my gosh, what am I watching? Okay, let me think for a second. That's a good question. Um, I try to keep on top of everything that's going on politically. Yeah. So I do watch a lot of CNN and okay. MSNBC. Do you have any political opinions you'd like to share? Girl, you're going to get me in trouble now. See? <laughs> I have a feeling we might agree. I think we might, too. Uh-huh. But um, I I just want to get everybody to go out and vote in November. Me, too. Please, please, please vote so that we can get our country back on track. Agreed. Thank you, my darling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to, you know, really push that envelope too much. But um, I think there's some wonderful changes that we could make and maybe, you know, just to, to save our country. Yeah. Because it needs it right now. Um, and as far as what I'm watching, good Lord, that's a good question. Um and reading, I'm reading lots of political things. Okay, it I'm sounds reading. all consuming. Yes, it is pretty much. But we're in dire straits right now, so mm-hmm. I feel like I have to do this. Yeah. Um, and uh, TV wise, what's on that I love? There's so many wonderful shows that yeah. are out there right now. Um, I haven't watched the L Word. I know that came back. It came back. Yes. Have you seen it? I haven't seen the new one. I did watch the, the old, old one. one. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I have to see that. And, um, you know, of course, I'm recording 50 programs at once. It's yeah. like, you know, who's got time to sit and watch everything? So, um, but I, I really am trying to watch all of the special things that are we're all concerned with. Today. Uh-huh. So. Have you watched at all um, The Masked Singer? I have. I'm obsessed with are that show. Are you really? There's a few people that are I'm sure there's with people that you know that are in those crazy outfits. Uh, there were a couple of people that I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. yeah, that were in those outfits. <laughs> and I thought, she did them not. <laughs> she is not in there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always awesome. Uh-huh. Um, I do love watching... Um, um, What's the one with the chairs where they turn around? Oh, they, the voice. The voice. I, you know, I, the problem I have with, with that show on American Idol, I love seeing young talent, talented people. I get concerned towards the end when they have the voting thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, because then it becomes a popularity contest. Who has the most horrible story that they want to share with 50 yeah. million people? It's not about and that. Then, it's then about it's the voice. It's not about the talent. Yeah. So if you're going to do a show about talent, then do a show about that. And and let's leave the personal stuff until they're big stars and then they can write a book. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's how I feel. That is fair. Isn't that fair? Yeah. Okay. I was blown away by the raw, sheer power of your voice yesterday. Oh. Thank and you. I was wondering if you would sing like just one chorus to one song. Oh my goodness! But if it's too much putting you on the spot, I know it's not. You deep, want me to sing I... while we're here in this <laughs> glamorous diva suite? <laughs> in this glamorous diva suite, you don't have to. But I just kind of—it was one of those things where I fantasized about the world hearing like what it actually unproduced sounds like because it was 
amazing. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me think. I used to cry, I used to cry each night, but that was all before he came. I thought love had to hurt to turn out right, but now he's here. It's not the same. It's not the same. Okay. Oh my God! <laughs> you did it. Oh my God. That was amazing. Thank you so much. So much. Thank I, you. This really. was a. It was such. A joy to have the chance to talk to you. I hope you have an amazing rest of your cruise. Thank you. The same to you. And I, I hope really to enjoy see you being in New York with you. Someday. Yes, yes, <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Thank you.